Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about Angela Davis's essay, The Prison Industrial Complex. Now, before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical concepts and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, you can subscribe and see videos at least every single week, sometimes twice a week. If you're new here and you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find just the audio on pretty much any podcast platform if you prefer that. If you found this as a podcast, you're going to be able to find it on YouTube where there's sometimes video, like right now. And that's great. If you like what I do, you can like, share, subscribe. You can follow me anywhere other than here, like Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Twitter. I don't even know. Is that, it's, not, it's not even called that anymore. Anyways, links for the things in the description. If you want to help me out, do all those things I just mentioned. You can also help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but no pressure to do that. And yeah, let's jump into Angela Davis's the prison industrial complex. Now she starts out by highlighting that prison labor is really some of the most exploited labor within the United States and really across the world. Prison laborers are paid almost nothing to do their work. They don't have pensions. I mean, the benefits, perhaps there are situations in which this is different, but in general, they work horrible conditions for little to no compensation. And right off the bat, this wasn't always the case. Historically, prison labor was actually paid somewhat well, with the belief being that work itself and incentivizing people to work was actually a tool to re-socialize people into everyday life. Now, that wasn't necessarily like true, it didn't work. I mean, the prison system was still intact and still performing its oppressive function. But in any case, this logic around paying prisoners very little, essentially forced labor, was is, is, is really new and it is not natural with the prison itself. So Angela Davis here is calling attention to a shift in logic in how prisons are actually conducted that emerged, you know, in the mid-20th century in the United States and all around the world. And the prison industrial complex is not focused on prisons alone. The prison industrial complex is a term that encapsulates a wide constellation of other institutions as well, including the media, government, various corporations, that all have an interest in the existence of prisons that are able to employ people cheaply, really without option, and as a consumer for many products. So corporations will strike deals with prisons and sell them products for their prisoners. And so there are vested interests in the existence of prisons and the continued expansion of prisons. Now this comes at a time as well, especially in the 70s and 80s in the United States, really thinking about California a lot, all the other states are implicated as well, Prison sizes were increasing, new prisons were being erected as crime was going down. So what was going on here? I mean, clearly prisons were not being built to satisfy a demand for a place to put criminals. Instead, there must have been something else going on. And the inclusion of these other institutions reveals for Angela Davis that it corresponds to a logical turn change in logic around what it means to be a criminal and what that criminal can do, not necessarily in atoning for their sins, apparently, or for having done something wrong, but how they can be productive for those very logics, specifically 
the logics of capitalist exploitation in the United States and all around the world. So Angela Davis didn't come up with this term, the prison industrial complex, and really she's not credited with being the most vocal person about it. People before Angela, before Angela Davis was talking about this, like Mike Davis, many other activists in the 90s, people, activists coming out of the anti-Vietnam protests when people were criti criticizing what they called the military industrial complex. Many people were talking about the prison industrial complex before Angela Davis came onto the scene, but what she brought to it was really a strong understanding of both the role of capitalism and racism in, in, in encouraging the emergence of this logic of the prison industrial complex and how it resonates with these broader systems of ca the capitalist relations of production and white supremacist racism that continually tries to imprison black people as a source for cheap labor. So it's important to really credit these, these activists beforehand, especially Mike Davis, in contributing to these discussions, really bringing this discussion to the forefront. So I mentioned of all the institutions that the media is involved, and the media serves many functions in normalizing prisons in that they constantly air content about crime. That is, you know, they follow the basic moniker, if it bleeds, it leads. And what that does is it convinces people that crime is running rampant and that therefore government institutions, government itself and private enterprises are justified in creating more prisons to deal with the onslaught of crime within the United States and elsewhere. And not to mention, of course, that there are various like shows that aren't the news like Law and Order, Criminal Minds, I mean, you name it, that normalize the idea that there are good people and bad people. The good people belong to the institutional side of government, of the justice system, and then bad people are the ones who the, people's work, the people working in the institution are trying to catch. And these shows never actually really unpack any kind of nuance here. Instead, they sell people the idea that there are bad people and good people. And we know, of course, what happens to bad people. I mean, it's how every single one of these episodes concludes. Are they going to end up in jail? And we just treat that as being a totally normal progression of dealing with someone who has broken an established rule, when that is far from the only way to deal with someone who has broken a rule. Not to mention, these shows never actually provide people the broader historical and social understanding to really grapple with the phenomenon of crime itself, how it is highly contextual, how there are other social factors that contribute to people committing crime. Not to mention as well, the, the seeming rise or obsession with crime podcasts, obsession with hearing about criminals, hearing about criminals getting caught, hearing about criminals evading arrest, and how that really fascinates us and compels us to follow such cases and to really strive for justice and to contribute to a culture of fear that sees anyone as being a potential criminal. See something, say something, as certain crime podcasts really love to communicate. But if the person who is seeing happens to be racist, then any person of color might be someone worth calling the police on. And so we see here that 
crime is by no means just a neutral reflection of having committed a wrong in the world. It very much goes down racial, social lines in order to contribute to a norm, in order to uphold various hierarchies that have been established. So there are many connections to be drawn between the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex. You know, so, so many people have written on the military industrial complex, like Noam Chomsky, for example, and people who have really called attention to how the military industrial complex has become bedfellows with the prison industrial complex. And this is on, put on full display when we see the type of tactical gear that police officers are able to use against people protesting in the streets, for example, like military grade machinery and equipment to stop public unrest, to maintain normalcy, quote unquote normalcy, through force with the help of a military industrial complex that is making tons of money off of the production of these weapons, off of these new technologies that are sold to police, to prisons, to maintain control, to maintain order. And so there's an entire private enterprise in just producing armaments for the military and for prisons and police. It is big business to put people and lock people away. And hence why there has been an increase in the number of private prisons in the US and elsewhere because People are making a profit off of this thing called crime. When justice is supposed to be neutral, it in fact, you know, there are many different interests wrapped up in it, mostly monetary interests. Now, even though there are these private economic interests, governments just throw money into prisons as well. And every single dollar that is spent in these prisons is taken away from another social policy from another social institution they could actually go to helping people like putting more money into schools and paying teachers and paying doctors and nurses and putting money into hospitals and putting money into after school programs you know you have it in public trans transport all of these things have been shown time and time again when they are taken care of when they are made easily accessible actually help to bring down what we know to be crime now if i frame it this way as ending crime is really what we are pursuing, then I am falling somewhat into the trap that crime is a thing that just exists out there, as though it's something we can just neutrally observe and that's it. Of course, it is always contextual, but even within that narrative, in the way that crime is depicted today, really popularly, these other institutions, these social ones, would help, at least if money was put into them, to reduce crime. But the fact that money is not being directed in those ways and instead being put into spending more money on police, spending more money on prisons, demonstrates that perhaps the concern has less to do with actually minimizing crime and more to do with getting rich. Or to have prison populations or people within prisons to be, you know, cheap labor, which another way to get rich, but you know, there's also a history here, especially in the United States, of using imprisoned people as medical guinea pigs, using them as test subjects for various different medical procedures for like skincare treatments and stuff, even though stuff, you know, without it being tested, just treating these people as being less human than anybody else, as though they do not deserve basic fundamental human rights. Now, when Angela Davis was writing this essay in the early 2000s, 
She identifies that at the time, the racial population or makeup of imprisoned people in the United States, and I think I've used the term prisoners, really it should be imprisoned people, they do not become, it's not as though they're, they change ontologically in their being to become something else. They are the same person, but have been imprisoned. It's really how they should be spoken about. How imprisoned people, their demographic, resembled that, at least in the racial demographic of imprisoned people, resembled that of post-slavery United States. It was pretty close, that is, between black people and white people, taking into consideration their relative populations in the broader American public. And this signals to Angela Davis that the effects of slavery on enslaved people, on black populations all throughout the United States, that legacy has very much continued to this day, where after slavery had ended, one of the tools that previous slave owners had used was to mount pressure on policymakers, unless they were policymakers themselves, mount pressure on policymakers to make it easier to incarcerate black people so that they could then be easily used for cheap labor, so that they could be more easily exploited, almost throwing them back into slavery once again. And the fact that we were seeing this makeup, this demographic makeup be somewhat similar reveals that things haven't changed all that much. Like, yeah, sure, things have gotten better, but we are far from actually remedying the evils of the past in terms of slavery and racial oppression in the United States and elsewhere. So what to do in the face of this? Well, really the big aim is not just to oppose prisons. Really, we must oppose the entire logic of capitalist exploitation, of racial exploitation, and the logic of imprisonment and the belief in criminality itself as being a thing out there. All of these things need to be opposed in order to undo these harms that are being continually inflicted and perpetuated by institutions like the prison system. Now, this is a big hope, like this is the end goal. Ideally, we arrive there. But Angela Davis is also like, you know, we also just have to make sure that people are not being abused in prison right now. Think about maximum security prisons or people being sent to, you know, a four by eight cell and they have to just sit there for 23 hours a day. Like absolutely inhumane conditions that nobody should have to live through at the very minimum like the immediate thing to address would be that and of course making sure that people have ample food that they're actually able to access services education in these institutions they are they're not just at the whims of the system they are not just going to be exploited by that system and yeah that's Angela Davis's The Prison Industrial Complex. If there's anything I excluded or got wrong, I'd love to hear about it. If you like what I did, you can like, share, subscribe. Uh, follow me on any of the other platforms if you want. If you want to reach out, you know, send me a message on any of the platforms if you have any questions. And yeah, let me know what you think. Like, does Angela Davis take this far enough? Is there anything that she doesn't focus on that she should have? I'd really love to hear what you have to say. And yeah, on that note, take care.